welcome to Out in the Wilds, a podcast by two married to each other ladies. We break down all things queer and unqueer in each episode of The Wilds. My name is Allie, and as always, I'm joined by my wife and the love of my life, Rachel. Hi, everyone. Fuck right off. (laughs) (laughs) I have to do it all soldier. (laughs) Rachel, what episode are we talking about today? We're all done the episodes. This is a bonus episode. We're going to talk big theories, favorite characters, overall deserted island partner of the series, and much more. I'm pretty excited for it. Before we get into it, just our regular spoiler content and language warnings. We finished the series, so if you haven't watched the series already, don't start here. Start at episode one, but from now on, we are full of spoilers. Language-wise, we do tend to swear, so just know that going into it. And just a general content warning, because we're talking across the whole series, we might dig into some of the the themes of any one of the girls, so just a general mature content warning. Because we're all about flipping our format this episode, we decided that we want to start off with Deserted Island Partner of the Season. So our criteria remains the same when we think about this. We're deciding, you know, if one of us was shipwrecked on a deserted island, Who would we want to be shipwrecked with? Who would be our deserted island partner? Our key criteria, who would keep us alive? Who would keep us sane? Who would be an MVP for us? And who would best embody Destiny's Child Survivor? We're not going to do this one as a competition because I think it's a a very personal choice and I, I don't think there needs to be one who rises above the other. So, Rachel, you've given it some thought over the past week. Who would be yours? Now, Allie... I'm just wondering, how controversial of a choice did you go? Because I think there's probably a pretty high likelihood that we have the same person. I did not go very controversial. I thought very realistic about who would keep me personally alive. Right. So you did not pick Leah or Nora? (laughs) No, I did not pick Leah or Nora. (laughs) By chance, did you pick Dot? I did pick Dot. Yeah, me too. Crazy. I mean, not crazy. No. I, like I say, okay, yeah. I say it's crazy. I was talking um, with someone about this the other day and I was like, you know, Dot really, when I came into this, I thought she was going to win Deserted Island Partner of the Week every single week, right? But I think we like held her to such a high standard. We always were like looking for who else was like doing stuff because we just expected greatness out of Dot. And I think for me, that expectation of greatness is like, is actually who I want with me. And, you know, Dot will motivate me and tell me what to do and make me build things and ration my food for me and I mean I was just like Dot is the person I would like to end up with. Dot will also like is so caring like other than the survival skills also really cares about like the wellness of everyone. That's important and also is funny as heck so will make me laugh um so I feel like that is the kind of joy I need if I'm going to be stranded on the fucking beach for like 20 days. Yeah, I mean, really her only two missteps were one, when she gave out all the rations after that plane flew over. And second, for some reason, they're still on the beach and they're not by the waterfall, but they now are situated on Gold Cliff Beach. So aside from that, they are extremely alive. They are smiling, they are happy. Dot's always thinking about what's next. Even when she took a break, she bounced right back to make sure that everybody was not going to kill each other. And she was also that person that said those pivotal lines that, you know, if we're going to go, it's not going to be at the hands of each other's throats. We have to do this together. And so I know that her dad, before he passed, said something to her along the lines of, someday the great big world is going to come and call your name. And Dot has responded to the challenge. She is not wasting it. Oh, good job, Dot Campbell. You're a girl, Dot. 
Yeah. We're moving to 1600 Vine Street with you. <laughs> Maybe. I would totally watch like a spinoff series of Dot and Fatten take oh, on yeah. LA. Be so funny. They're really good foils for each other and the things that they focus on. And they also just get each other on a really good level. And it would just make, uh, yeah, it'd make top tier comedy. Fingers crossed. Let's go, Sarah Stryker. Bring it on. We also just wanted to take a second because while we are going to get into all of those theories and all of those like pieces that we've really been holding back and, and for some building to, we haven't really talked about some elements of just like this show in general. And one of those is we've never actually talked about who our favorite character was. And some of this was because we were trying not to spoil things, right? And so like, it's like really hard to say your favorite character is someone who like, no one's going to understand why they're your favorite character until later on. So always being like careful about that was a bit tricky, but I wanted to just spend like a couple minutes just talk about who our favorite characters are. So your top two, Rachel? Oh, I get to do top two. I was so worried you're going to make me pick one. No, top two is fine because I have a top two. So my two favorite characters are Fatten and Rachel. And they're really like, it's it's not a one-two. It's a, they're my top two. Rachel and Fatten, to me, almost have some of the most complete character arcs of all the girls in terms of their journey on the island. Rachel, in terms of, we saw her weighing her food as an example on that plane all the way through perpetuating that Stanford lie when she was going to the clifftop to finally come around and saying to Nora, you know, I think I'm ready to let that part of my life and by extension, my identity go. And then we see her going back into the water at the end, pre-shark and just floating and taking back the water. That growth and that trajectory is just so beautiful to watch. I also love her sense of humor, the way that she jokes around with Shelby at the top of the cliff She's at her best when she's trying to find something, when she's achieving a goal. And so I love seeing her humor in that area. And then also seeing it when Fatten says to Martha, you know, I'm legit hot for you right now when Martha kills the goat. Rachel's like, all right, let's keep it in your pants. (laughs) Uh, I just love the role that she plays in the group, both as that pusher, that doer, that achiever, but that person that she's very consistent. And while I think a lot of people would say that she's a bit fiery and passionate, a lot of like... A lot of contrasts are made between her and Tony in terms of that fiery passion. I actually think Rachel's extremely consistent throughout. And so I just love that journey for her. And I can't wait to see what's coming for her in season two. I think it also will have some parallels to whatever's going on with Nora because we don't know. And so seeing her a part of whatever that future arc is of Nora will also be really interesting. As both her and her sister are trying to figure out the ways in which their identities work together and the ways in which they're their own people as well. So I love Rachel for that reason. Fatten, a little bit lighter, less perhaps analytical. She's so funny. She was so many quotes of our weeks. She was so many episode titles. But what I love about her is that the way that Leah sees her in episode one is such a stereotype. Even the way that she portrays herself in front of her parents in terms of bitching about her nails and talking about her curfew, it's so stereotypical. And we see her in Jeanette's episode crying on that plane and really feeling that. And even we see her on the the island day one being really, really, really upset until Dot comes over and they start their friendship. The Fatten at the end of the season is so different from that. And it's interesting because even the girls when they're stereotyping her when they put on all of her clothes and say things that she would say. We talked in that time in our episode about how that's not really what Fatten is like, not really the Fatten that we see. And as we moved through the episodes, we saw how she is so supportive, how she supports Shelby, for example, when 
she senses the sexual tension between Shelby and Tony, the way in which she supports Dot. Her narration is just so comical. I just love the stereotype versus actual person in that play that we see. And I'm so glad that she's okay because we didn't see her until the end of the episode in her episode as well. And so for those reasons, I'm not out on Fatten. I love that. Who are your favorite characters, Allie? So my two favorite characters or my top two favorite characters are Fatten as well. Yep. And Shelby. Good choices. Thank you. Um, It's funny because like that wasn't the way that I sat like the first time that we went through. And I think kind of going through this process, Shelby's the one that wasn't in my top two originally. Fatten's always been my top two. (laughs) It's just a reality. Um, But I've kind of like shifted and changed and like rethought things a little bit. But I'll start with Fatten. Um, Similar to you, I think she's fucking hilarious. She makes me laugh. She's the best one-liners of the show. But I think she also just is so good at giving like more of a bird's eye view of things and like seeing the full picture, but like not missing all the small nuanced pieces in there either. I think, you know, she can see the way that everyone interacts together and like how they need to work together, but like also does it in a way where she can like sit down with Leah and say, there's something happening with you and I want to help you work through it. And I just think that that's like such an important skill to have. I think she's like a fucking fantastic like second in command and I don't always think that she gets credit for it. You know, we we all joke about, you know, like the fronds and fat and going to get them and like, you know, 25 minutes collecting fronds, 30 minutes brushing her teeth. But I think she's also supportive in a lot of ways of the things that are happening and of Dodd in particular and like supportive of the group as a whole in a really important way. And I think we've seen a lot of growth from her as well in thinking about how to actually support people and how to meet them where they're at right and so if we think to her backstory we think about you know when she found out about her dad like she was very reactive she like took like she took steps she sent the photos out but she didn't really think about the repercussions of her actions and didn't think about how those impacted other people and I think we see a lot through this season her revisiting that rethinking that reworking through that both in the ways that she interacts with Leah but then also when she's like supporting Shelby when Shelby has her whole like hair cutting incident right and so I think she's understanding and realizing that people interact and experience the world in different ways than she does and I think it's like a very beautiful arc to see her go through also to see her as someone who is very individual and was like very focused like on herself and opening that perception up and like making these like really strong friendships and bringing other people into her circle in a way that's really tangible and beautiful. So that is why Fatten is one of mine. Also, she's fucking funny. I can't like understate that enough. She's like hilarious. Shelby is one of mine because number one, like I think I see a lot of the value in like what she brings to the group. She's a motivator. She's a, she's a optimist. And like some of these things can be like grading, but they're also like a very significant gap in the group. It's the role that she plays is so important. I also think she's had, like she has a beautiful arc, like when she's thinking about understanding who she is and recognizing her own strength and her own resilience and like understanding and figuring out who she wants to be and where she wants to go. I don't think in any way, shape or form that that is over. It is going to be very tumultuous in season two, but I just think that the things that she brings, the value that she brings just like really hit me in the heart. And I just think the way that she like 
sees the world. I think back to her episode and like how everyone like looked their best in that episode. Like even though she was literally like falling down a tunnel, right? And how beautifully she saw everyone. And I just think that like that piece around around her experiencing and her being able to see the best in people is so important and is so powerful. I'll say Shelby's up there for me too. Yeah. Tony's up there for me too. Dot's up there for me too. I think for me, different people at different moments are my favorites. And so like my favorite, each episode changes or like depending on the situation changes. So I'm trying to like step back and look overall kind of that big arching overview about who is my favorite. But I think it changes almost every time I watch the show or it shifts every time I watch the show because I start to like recognize and see things about someone who maybe I didn't identify with as much on the first go through. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Who is your favorite character aside from the girls? How the fuck are you going to do this one? You love all the side (laughs) characters. Well, that's why I'm asking you first. Like research team or like totally whoever? I think totally whoever. I would argue like the challenge is, is like if we can can consider Lynn as one of those that I feel like we'll both pick Lynn. Oh, then I would pick Lynn. Yeah, Yeah. see, so. I love Lynn. So Lynn, honorary mention. Yeah. But of the, yeah, of any of the other, other characters. I think it's Gretchen. The Gretch? Yeah. I like, oh, I love Gretchen. I love the depth that she brings to the show, the layers that she brings to the show. So I feel like there are other people I have like a very strong attachment to. I'm very attached to Becca. I like fucking love Becca. But I think if I'm thinking like overall season, like, and things that I'm excited for next season, I would have to say Gretchen. She's problematic AF. Please don't get me wrong. But I think... She would be my favorite because I just think she's so complex. Who would yours be? Obviously, it's Audrey. But your question of who am I most excited for next season? I'm like, what's Audrey really going to do that's going to excite me? I don't know. I feel like there's something there. You think there's something there? Well, like, uh, you think I mean there's something there. Like they're in a relationship, something there. No, I wasn't I mean, saying that. I mean, I think there's something there because Gretchen at one point is like, oh, like, I wish you were on the ground. And, like, Audrey's like, it's not a great time right now. And so I don't know what the fuck is going on with her, but something's going on with her. And also, I think, like, Gretchen, we get so centered in, like, the viewing room or the observatory. (laughs) I feel like I'm just talking about Clue now. Um, But, like, Audrey, I feel like, is doing all those on-the-ground pieces everywhere else. And so I'm really excited to learn more about about Audrey. So we're going to take you through our four main theories today. The first one is an overview of the timeline before and during the island extravaganza. The second is an overview of why each of the girls were picked. The third is where in the world are they? And the fourth is all things experiments within the experiment, including a discussion on the Twilight of Adam. So Allie, why don't you start by talking timelines? So time is something that is always a little bit at play in this show. We're never quite always certain where things fall, where pieces sit, whether we're being told things in chronological order, or whether we're being told stories based around how they match with action that's happening on the island. I'm going to posit as part of this theory that the things that we actually see physically happening on the island are in correct chronological order. I think we've talked a lot that we think there's some unreliable narration going on. And so the versions that we get of these things might not be fully correct. But I think there's a lot of evidence that many of them are connected to reality and connected to things that are going on outside of the island. So I'm going to posit that that timeline of the actual things happening on the island is correct. 
I'm going to come to the other side, though, and say that everything else is super messed up and we're only getting it in weird fractured pieces. So number one, there's this sense when you're kind of going through the season and you're learning a little bit about the backstories that they are happening all within the course of a very short period of time. So I'm going to take you through a little bit of a timeline because I think the biggest piece is everything started way before we really think it did. Not everything happened that we see over the past year. So to keep everything easy, I'm going to posit all the girls are the same age and all of the girls are in the same grades. I think there's like evidence to support that and evidence that when we're thinking about who they are and where they are, that they would all be in that that range. So if we're thinking about the fact that, you know, they're not going to university next year, that puts us in the place that everything happening on the island is happening in between grade 11 and 12. Makes sense. They're starting to think about colleges. We hear them talk about that a little bit. And so there is this a bit of an implication that everything we see in backstory happened over the past year or happened while they're in grade 11. I don't think that's the case. I think it started way earlier than that. And I'm going to kind of take you through the timeline that I've sort of mapped out. So starting off in grade 10, I'm hypothesizing this is actually when Leah and Jeff meet and when their whole relationship takes place. What I'm basing this around is we know that July 10th is their breakup date. It's the date that we see on Leah's phone when Jeff texts and says, come outside, we need to chat. Or he says, I'm outside. I don't remember exactly what he says. And then they break up. So that would put this the summer before everything that's happening for us on the island, which would put push that relationship back quite a bit and, and centers really not the relationship, but the aftermath of the relationship happening through that grade 11 year. I'd also like to hypothesize that that's when Tony and Regan meet. This timeline's a little bit less clear and I'm trying not to, uh, not to like, pin the wilds down too much because like in my head I'm like there's no snow it's Minnesota it can't be winter when I'm like mapping out sort of seasons and stuff however they also did film in in New Zealand and so I don't know how concerned they were with making sure the seasons matched up but I would I would posit that 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 all happened and those actions all centered and happened in that grade 10 year which means that summer between grades 10 and 11 is when we have that breakup as I mentioned and that's also when Nora goes to summer school the only way the timeline kind of makes sense is that bridging and so for all of them except for Leah most of their action is going to center going in over the past year Leah is the one who starts early and so hold on to that in your head for a second because I do think it's important so looking at our fall in grade 11 this is when we have those scenes of Dot selling drugs. We have some of like Martha doing her powwow prep and Martha finding out everything that went on with her doctor. That's when we would have Tony and Regan breaking up. Um, we know that November is when Shelby's kitchen scene happens. And this would also be when Rachel's removed from the team. We know this happened after the summer because you can already start to see her getting sick. This will also be when all of the shit is happening with Gretchen. This will be Gretchen losing her job, quote unquote, last fall. This would be when she meets Lynn because we know that it's centered about two weeks in and around when Gretchen's losing her job. And this would also be when Nora goes to see Devin. So all of these pieces are starting to work and click and come together. But the key piece to happen here and the key piece to note is that Gretchen has already started mapping out the experiment. And what I'm going to argue, one of the reasons I'm going to argue is that one of the biggest mysteries that we have in this season is the girls who were told on, who had someone externally who sort of like pushed them over that edge into their fall. And so 
we have Leah as one of them. And Leah's whole thing is centered around that birth certificate and who mailed her birth certificate. So one of the reasons that's important to note that all of this was happening with Leah so early is it means that Leah was recruited or was selected way earlier than anyone else or way earlier than we've seen signs of anyone else being recruited. She was already determined back in July as being a member of this. And it also means that Gretchen had already started mapping out this experiment before she was removed from the university in the fall. Continuing through our timeline, you know, we move into winter. There continues to be turmoil. This is when Dot's Christmas is. We know Dot's dad has that postcard, right? That says Dawn of Eve to recruit her for this trip to Hawaii. This is, I think, when a lot of Martha stuff happens. A little unclear, but like, I think like this is when Martha's court case, some of her court case stuff would happen. This would be when Nora maybe finally confirmed her, her recruitment, because I do think there's a bit of a gap between both pancake scenes. And this would also center in December, which is when we know that Shelby and Becca went bowling because they were setting up the Christmas trees. There's Christmas decorations everywhere. This would be when Becca passed away because we know that first pageant was happening in December. And then this is also simultaneously when we know there's a hard winter going on for, for Leah. That's what her parents refer to it as, is that, that hard winter. Shifting then forward into our spring, we know this is when Dot's dad passes, when Dot meets Gretchen eventually, because we know that it's centered soon after her dad passing, because she's still talking about those concerns that she has with children's aid. This would be, spring would also be when Leah's accident happened, right around her to fight with Ian, around that camping fight. I also think this is when Rachel's accident happened. I think Rachel's story is being told a little bit out of order, and I think post-accident is a little bit more likely when she was institutionalized for her bulimia because I have a hard time believing her parents let her to continue to dive, especially when she looked that sick and she had been hospitalized, right? So you can kind of see when you start to map out this like steady inclination of seriousness for a lot of the girls. And you can see sort of like the layers and complexities of the, the potential damage that's being done to them happen. So a lot of them have already reached that crisis point by this time. What's important to note is there's one character who really hasn't, and that character is Fatten. We know that when Fatten finds the pictures of her dad, pretty quickly she releases them, sends them to his whole contact list. They have that kitchen confrontation, which they stayed as about a week after that. And then we also know that, you know, she's immediately packing to go on this women's retreat and then is supposed to be immediately going to summer school after that. So this would all happen right before that, that beginning of June date when they actually go. This is also probably around the time when like Shelby thinks that she's going to get her summer teeth fixed and like all of her summer teeth. <laughs> this is probably also around the time in the summer when Shelby thinks her teeth is going to be fixed. So what does this mean? It means a lot of different things. Uh, number one, it tells us a little bit about the order that the girls were recruited. Leah would have had to have been recruited first or would have had to have been selected first. There's, there's possible evidence that, you know, some of these girls... Gretchen was talking to their counselors, maybe had been identified or flagged before they started to spiral. But Leah's like climax, that issue with Jeff happened really early on. It also means that Nora and Rachel were probably the next two people who were selected for the experiment, mostly um, about Nora. That's around the time she would have signed off on. When we talk about why they were picked, I'll share a little bit because I'm not 100% sure that Gretchen hadn't already handpicked out Rachel, but we can get into that. I think then Dot and Shelby would have been picked in that winter time, right? Right around, they're both sort of being recruited. They're both sort of having big issues in that time. Martha and Tony, I think, would have come a little bit later. Uh, Martha's whole sort of 
climax of her story is happening around powwow season, which wouldn't normally start till the spring if the writers are on their sort of powwow calendar schedule, right? So I think they would have come in a little bit later. And then Fatten would have been the last person. We know Fatten was also similar to Leah, someone who had an external force blow up her life. And so it makes sense that if they were trying to send everyone in duos, they would have found that person and sent that person. And so when we're thinking about the timeline, it just shows that stretch of time across as people were selected and also the forethought and carefulness that was used in selecting and determining and deciding who was going to participate in this experiment. All right. So number one, you said pause it like three or four times in that. (laughs) Sorry. I just love it. No, it makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. Excellent analysis, honey. I think you're bang on that Gretchen was conceptualizing the experiment for a lot longer than we're led to believe. One of those pieces that suggests it to me is that when she goes to see Leonard's experiment, I think she's thinking about her own. And two, when she's talking with Lynn about recruiting Lynn, essentially, she says things are going to move a lot faster now that my schedule has freed up, which suggests that things were moving, but maybe just a little bit slower on the back burner for her. And I think it's really important to know, just in case anyone missed this, like Leonard, who we see when she goes to see that conformity experiment, when she meets Lynn, is the same man that she has lunch with later, who she's talking about milestones with around her experiment, right? So at the very least, he's invested in her experiment at both points. So pre her losing her job and once she's lost her job. Leah being first makes sense because I think as we'll go through the rest of these theories, There's a criticality that Leah was the right choice because of how important she is to many of our other theories and arcs. I want to say another piece that confirms this comes from a conversation between two characters. You might not think would be the two to confirm it. It's when Dot and Fatten are having a conversation. I think it's actually day one. And Fatten is saying, you know, I've had a rough year. And Dot says, hard fucking same, which reinforces their timeline for both of them. And last but not least, I love the idea that Fatten is the last that's picked because Leah, when she's talking about the duos, also in episode one, she says, Fatten from my school of all people. It makes me wonder if Fatten was always the original target because even Dot and Shelby, while acquaintances, they know about each other. They have history. They were on the same soccer team. They had class together. Dot's seen a rap on the morning fucking announcements. They know Andrew. Shelby knew that she dealt drugs. They know each other's families. Like, there's a lot more detail and layer than Fatten and Leah. And so it does make me wonder, was Fatten the original target? Or did Gretchen kind of find her by opportunity and very similar to Leah, blew up her life in the same way? Well, there's some theories out there that Fatten's parents know, like, and that are involved in some way with the experiment. And so, like, they would have been able to wait a little bit before recruiting her because there was never going to be an issue. They just had to make her think that there was an issue that she was being sent away for, right? And so if Fatten was always one of the targets, it makes it clear. It makes sense, too, because when they talk about why Fatten's going to this all-girls retreat, it's to learn about respect for authority. Mm-hmm. Authority, conformity, patriarchy, it's all about power, right? So I think there's a way that that might tie into the objectives of the research. So moving on to sort of the final piece of this this timeline theory, this timeline hypothesis. This speaks a little bit to the time in the bunker, but I also think it speaks to overall Gretchen's timeline for the experiment. 
We hear lots of dates throughout the show. We hear lots of time frames throughout the show, sometimes which seem to have been carefully chosen and some which seem just unreasonable when we're really thinking about them. So we hear Gretchen tell Leah's parents that the Montana campus, this program they're sending her to, is 12 weeks. I would argue that probably all the parents think that their kids are going to be gone for about 12 weeks. I would say probably similar to Leah. They probably think that they're off grid. They're doing some sort of wilderness work unless their parents are in the know, which is which is a bigger piece. I would say that each girl was sent for a different reason. Right. So, you know, you have Leah's parents who just want her to be well. Fatten's parents who are a little bit more punishy about it. Right. And so I think everyone was sent for for a different reason, but all think that, you know, the girls are out on the land. Now, there's some important pieces about this. Right now, at the end of season one, the girls have been on the island for just under one month. We know when Gretchen goes to recruit Dan that she tells him that he's going to have to move to the bunker. He's going to have to start working for her in two months. I do think that Gretchen, when she's going in to meet Dan, I think it's online with the island timeline. I think that's validated by the fact that we see Tom call her about the girls and Musclegate which would put us 12 days into the experiment when she's recruiting him, which would mean that if he is coming out to the bunker in two months, that the girls are supposed to be a minimum of two and a half months on the island. We're led to believe that soon after their quote unquote rescue is when they start being interrogated by Dean and Dan. So that would put them there another month and a half still. I mean, we'll see what happens sort of with our shark attack thing. And then within that 12-week time frame, leaves two weeks in the bunker for Gretchen to do whatever fucking psycho magic she thinks that she's going to do on them to make them not turn her into the police and talk about what a terrible thing it is that happened to them. I think they are playing with time a little bit in the bunker. I think there's lots of evidence. You know, we have things like Fatten saying, you know, when things are like a bunker, you lose all sense of time. We have Leah, I feel like it's one of the reasons that she tried to go outside, A, to find her way outside, but B, I think also to gauge if time is right. You know, there's no windows, there's no natural light. They just have the clocks on the wall. And I think that they could be playing with those clocks a little bit. You know, you can shorten people's day or lengthen people's day. And when they're held in such isolation, they won't know the difference, right? And so I think like we... Gretchen has like these two weeks still built into this pre-existing timeline to do all this bunker work. I'm not honestly sure it's enough time. I don't think it's enough time. And I think they're going to be held there for way longer than that. But I think like that's sort of what we're looking at. And so I think Dan coming in has to be timed, has to be themed with the girls being removed. I think that's the only thing that makes sense. Give or take, maybe Gretchen gave him a little bit of time to get up on those dossiers about all the girls. But I think that that does validate for me and reinforce for me that we still have at least a month and a half left on the island. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think the tricky part for me is I still don't really know what the objectives of the time in the bunker are. We do know that it's the extension of the research program. And we'll talk about this a little bit more when we talk experiments within experiments. But I just don't know what she's hoping to achieve in two weeks, aside from the girls not turning her in, I guess. Like, certainly the girls aren't going to be, like, trauma-free in two weeks, so I don't think that's the objective. So I just don't really know how it can end in a good way. I mean, I don't know how any of this can end in a good way, so that's just the flaw of the experiment. But even just something that really strikes me is the messaging to parents. So we know that Leah's parents know that she's on the Montana campus and gone for 12 weeks. 
So what's the comms plan for the parents? Like when Leah comes back, she's going to say, I was in a plane crash and ended up stranded on a deserted island. Are the parents going to be like, oh, that's weird because I talked to Gretchen while you were away every two weeks. Like that doesn't make sense. So either the plan has to be that the girls know or find out or have it validated that it's a setup. And the girls lie to their parents that they were at some sort of therapeutic summer camp. Or the parents lie to the girls and say, we thought you were missing. We didn't actually know that you were at a retreat. Mm. It would also mean that the parents on some level had to be aware of what the experiment was. All of them, collectively, including Leah's parents, would have to know that she was stranded on a deserted island. Certainly the detectives are trying to keep up the lie that they were stranded. That's what they say to Leah. You know, we fielded a lot of different calls from a lot of different people about you and that fact that you were missing. So that's the act that they're trying to keep up. But I just don't know what the plan is from there. I don't know either. I still, I'm still baffled by this idea that, you know, the damage that they caused on the island anyways could be sort of like remedied or rectified within a two-week period. I think we've talked a lot about like the re-traumatization of like people who are pretty vulnerable and like how messed up they're going to be from the island. And will that even, like if the parents were in on it, will it even feel like progress when they're sent back? So I'm not even 100% certain that this timeline isn't longer, that Gretchen doesn't plan to keep them longer than that. I know to push back against that, a lot of people are like, oh, but they have to be back before school starts. I want to be super clear none of these girls are going to school in september they're going to be really messed up right and like if you think about the fact that they've seen someone die they've almost died they've been starving they've been sick some of them have gotten very close to you know having mental breakdowns if we think about the fact that rachel has lost her hand like no one's going to school in september that's not real yeah, I think it really depends on like what Gretchen is trying to do because we actually don't even ever really hear her talk about making the girls feel guilty or culpable. That all comes from Dan. Dan says that Leah needs to feel guilty if she's going to like hold back and keep the secret, right? It, it, we never actually hear Gretchen say those words. So we do think on some level Gretchen is working towards this idea of wellness. But I think the bigger question is, you know, Gretchen wants to change the world with this experiment. In order to change the world, you have to be able to talk about it. So maybe it's less about getting them to hide it or their parents to hide it and more getting the girls to a place where they see that it was good, that it was good for them, that it healed them, that they're better because of it. Because then Gretchen can openly talk about, A, look at this fucking thing I did. It's so super therapeutic. Girls are doing great. Also, B, look at what we built. You're going to turn them into like little knowledge brokers? Yeah. <laughs> but you, like, I, I don't know what she's doing other than that. Like that's the only thing that I can think about because she has to be able to talk about the experiment. So let's shift into my second big theory. I've mentioned this before as we've been going through the pod, but I'm a pretty big proponent that every single one of these girls was handpicked to go on this experiment. There was no accidental things. There was no, oh, like there's this girl named Shelby from Texas. Maybe she'll be a good fit. I'm a pretty big believer that Gretchen sought them out, picked them consciously, and in some case manufactured situations to get them to the island. And I think there's a lot of reasons why she did this. Number one, they feel consciously chosen. There's a lot of parallels in their stories. There's a lot of parallels in the way that they act. And there's a lot of like pieces of their skills which mirror, reflect, and complement each other. So I'm going to start a little bit thinking about the skills and some of those inherent pieces that they have. And then I'll move into some of the ways that their stories mirror each other. 
there's obviously some very clear ones that we're all very aware of, you know, like how they all know how to swim and how they all know CPR, key tenants for whoever you're throwing on, a, on an island. We know that they've all faced turmoil and are looking for direction, looking for atonement, and looking for redemption. And all of them are sort of sitting at a crossroads. We also know that each and every single one of them wears some sort of performative mask that they're working on dismantling throughout this period. And so like those pieces do make me think that Gretchen is slightly interested in healing, slightly. We also know that none of them have any serious addiction challenges, but that is an extra fucking layer on the island that no one would have been equipped to deal with. Detoxing can be very dangerous depending on what it is, like especially if it's alcohol, right? For one of them to be trying to detox in that space, they could have died and it would have added a whole extra level of danger. And then we think a little bit about, and this is calling back to our very first episode that we recorded, thinking about like the idea of nature versus nurture. And the theory about like how these pairs are going to work together and interact together, right? So we have sisters, literal sisters, Nora and Rachel. We have sort of found family sisters in Tony and Martha. We have those childhood friends in Dot and Shelby. And then we have those school acquaintances in Leah and Fatten. And so that idea that, you know, will they stick with their pairs? Will they not stick with their pairs? I think the fact that they every single person was sent with two, they were sent with a person that they know from their home life, that they can connect with their home life. Number one, gives them that familial sense. It gives them that person who they recognize from home, who connects them to home, but also like opens up the question of, especially for those people who aren't as tied closely, are they going to stay with that person? Are they going to expand and grow past that person who reminds them of home? There's other really key characteristics that every single one of the girls has. You know, we have Dot. So if we think about sort of her three big skills, it's her survival knowledge, it's her pharmacy knowledge, and it's also her understanding of roles, responsibilities, and skills, and her ability to flag within each of the girls what they bring to the group and how that's important to the whole. On the other end, we have Shelby, who's a community builder, who also has some of those survival skills and is a motivator. We have Rachel, who is our top swimmer, right? who has a lot of traditional leadership skills and who also has that drive and not give up kind of vibe to her. We have Nora with her empathy and her knowledge. We have Leah with her just sort of all around general skills, her really good sort of like second in command ability, also a strong swimmer and her paranoia. We'll talk about that later. Um, we have Fatten also with community building with her emotional intelligence and her therapeutic sort of natures to the way that her personality goes and also her ability to see big picture things. We have Tony, who is a really good supporter, a really good kind of like soldier, if you are okay with the sort of like army analogy, but also emotional intelligence and some of those like general skills that are sort of like, you know, jack of all trades kind of like help. Tony can help with anything. And then you have Martha, who's very calm in a crisis who makes people feel comfortable and feel safe and who also has a very big vibe of, you know, she'll do whatever needs to be done, i.e. killing the goat. So each of them come with a set of skills to the island that you would need. As much as you need someone who has survival skills, you also need someone who's going to build community. You also need someone who's going to be therapeutic when people are upset. You need someone who has that drive, who has that ambition like Rachel does to go dive and get the flight box, to go climb up that mountain, which I've always argued are things that nobody but Rachel was ever going to do. You also need people who are sort of general skills, who are happy and comfortable just following direction and like being that part of that team player. Each of the girls has mirrors who mirror back their skills for them. So no one is ever holding all the skills themselves. 
And I think that's important if we think about, you know, what if anyone ever got hurt or injured? Those skills need to be transferable. They need to be things that like other people can take and handle and carry. So for example, you know, you have Dot with her survival knowledge. That's also mirrored by Shelby and her hunting knowledge. It's also mirrored by, you know, Nora's general just knowledge of the world community building is really held not just by Shelby but also by Thatton they also do so much work bringing the girls together and increasing that sense of community amongst them swimming is carried both within Rachel and with Leah and so there's there's these mirrors and these pieces where not any one single person has to hold all of the knowledge for one piece it's shared which plays into Gretchen's larger thesis about leadership being passed being traded being peacefully exchanged right to whoever has better skills or more capabilities in that moment to do that so without any one of those pieces things could have gone very wrong on the island and so I think that's a key part of what she's looking at is she's trying to she's not just thinking about oh I'm going to put these people here she's not just thinking about the things that they've gone through she's thinking about the ways that they're going to exist and interact in the island and how they're going to collaboratively work towards sort of that greater good across the group I'd like to throw out though, there's one thing that I find a little bit uh, interesting, which is there's two, what I would define as two real leaders in the group or two people who have sort of very prominent leadership skills. And so one is Rachel, but I think Rachel's leadership skills are a very traditional definition of leadership skills. She's ambitious. She's visionary. She has high motivations and expectations. She's very good at like visioning and, and goal setting and sort of fits that sort of standardized traditional version of what a leader should be. Now she doesn't actually take on that leadership role that often. And sometimes when she does, the girls sort of push back against it. And what they really value in a leader more than sort of that you know loudest voice in the room is knowledge. And so Dot often becomes the leader. And Dot often takes on that leadership role because she holds that knowledge and people are a little bit more willing to follow her. I think this is something that I'm actually kind of interested to see with the boys. Because when we think about some of those, like, you know, the people that you look at and think like obvious leaders, like sometimes you find that like they are the people who rise to leadership in society. And so you could probably guess that that might be actually what happens on the boys end. Whereas it seems like the girls are more thoughtfully picking their leader based on who actually is motivating and inspiring them in Dot. And then I think too, you know, Gretchen's taken consideration these skills but she's also taken into consideration the way that the girls' stories mirror each other and in some ways contrast each other too. But I think focusing on the mirrors is helpful. A lot of these girls are still situated. They're still sitting in their trauma. And so having other people on the island who understand that trauma is really helpful in healing to know that there's other people who understand how you feel or who have similar experiences or who may interact and react to things in certain ways because they're carrying those same histories. So I would argue that there's four sort of key facets or key pieces where this comes from. So one is the girls who have had someone die. So Dot, Shelby, Nora, the girls who have lost love. So when we think Leah, Nora, and Tony, people who have been betrayed by someone that they trusted, Tony, Tony's a little bit iffy, but like Tony around like foster care and things like that, Fatten and Martha, and then girls who have been pushed to perfection. So Fatten, Shelby, and Rachel. And so the ways that they understand and hear things, it always takes me back to that scene between Tony and Shelby. Shelby's talking about always being judged and always being surveilled in a way. And Tony on the other end is talking about never being watched or surveilled right and like that that's sort of like that gut 
key lack of understanding that exists there. So Shelby's talking about that sense, but who she really should be talking about that with is Fatten, who would understand that because her mother did that to her. Her mother pushed her and watched her and always wanted her to act a certain way. So there are these mirrors, there are these people, just for some of them, they haven't like navigated and located to that person who understands what it is they've gone through. What I like about what you've done, and I think it draws on a lot of the things we've been talking about over the series, is that all of them are picked relative to each other. And we've talked about that, how Gretchen was recruiting Nora with Lynn in mind, and she was thinking of them both as operatives and how those might work together and what the skills they have and how they might complement each other. And we've also talked about it in terms of how the episodes go together where the episode is focused on and who comes before and who comes after because there's such a beautiful way to see the differences between the characters. What's interesting is if you're thinking about designing a study without doing this very beautiful and nuanced analysis that Ali just did, if you were Gretchen, you're saying, I want to study teenagers. You'd think, well, I want a jock and I want a pageant princess and I want private school and I want public school and I want strict parents, and I want siblings, and I want twins, and I want only children. And while I think that's all good, because I think you'd probably get still a representative to some extent an experience of teenagedom by looking at these things, Gretchen's more intentional than that. She's more intentional than just leaving it up to the luck of the draw, and the way in which how she handpicks these folks and how she manufactures some of the situations that they've been in I think speaks to this much more nuanced and layered version of how they all ended up here. And we see the way that Gretchen recruits Nora. It's very careful. It's very thoughtful. It's over pancakes. She makes Nora come to her. And I don't think she would do that for Nora and do that for Lynn and to a lesser extent do that to Dot because those are the three women that we know Gretchen has interacted with. And to think that the other five wouldn't be as carefully selected as those three were. So thank you for that beautiful analysis. Yeah, and you're right. There's there's like so much deeper you can go into it when you're thinking about, you know, the fact that she wants them to build something new. You mentioned parents. I've thought a lot about parents too. There are so many different ways that families look that's represented across there too. So you have, you know, Dot, who has a single father parent. You have, you know, Fatten's parents, who's like very much her mom is like the matriarch of the family, right? Like is very much like the breadwinner and like has that strong voice. But they do co-parent quite a bit, right? You have, you know, Shelby's family, her dad is like the biggest voice in the house and seems to drive everything. So there's a thoughtfulness in the ways that families look that she selected too. And yeah, I just think it's, I think you're right. It's so easy to boil it down to those like very clear stereotypes. But I think if we go back to Shelby's God built us to contain multitudes, Gretchen is aware of that. And so she's not just saying like, oh, I like this pageant queen who I think is in the closet. She's thinking a little bit about like, how her family structure will interact with other girls, how she validates, how her skills. And so I think the criteria that she's using to pick these girls is so intentional. If her stereotype was a beauty queen, there's probably like 50 or 60 people she could have picked, but she's very thoughtfully broken down and has such a clear intentionality around the exact person that she wants. All right, so moving into location. I mentioned last episode, this is the question that keeps me up at night. Despite my copious amount of thinking, some of the questions that I jotted down in my rewatch were, 
Where do sand fleas live? <laughs> Does it thunderstorm in the Pacific? <laughs> and where are caves? <laughs> so this is a really comprehensive analysis. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I want to start by saying I did chase a couple of leads. In episode one, when they find that phone... Initially, I thought that both calls to California, so Fatten's parents and the call to Jeff, worked. But then in Leah's episode, we actually find out that Jeff's number is actually a 917 number, which situates it in New York City, which makes sense because he's a writer. So the California angle I really liked because of Dot's food, but I think it's a dead end. The other thing I chased was the weird Florida references. So in Nora's episode, she overhears a tour and they're talking about how it's a global program and they're from florida as well as jeanette's karaoke song has a line miami fla those are just two weird florida references i don't think they're in florida the other thing i chased is that we know that fatten is kind of clairvoyant and she says are we in the actual bermuda triangle but i'm pretty certain that they are pacific there are a couple things that i hang my hat on here one is that there's at least three different spaces. One, there's a research center. I believe it's California-based. The main evidence I have for that is Gretchen has a California license plate when she goes to the float spa. And when she goes to see Alice, she says to Tom that she'll be back before lunch. And so I'm pretty certain that wherever the research center is, is in California. The other two spaces I know for certain are one, the island, and two, the bunker. Whether or not it's a bunker, I'm not certain, but some sort of space that is indoors in some way, shape, or form. The other thing I hang my hat on is that it's definitely Pacific. There are three things from that. One, they are by the ocean. It is salt water because there is such a focus on finding fresh water. Two, it's extremely volcanic. The beach, the black sand, that's more characteristic and typical of the Pacific area than the Atlantic area. So we're thinking about oceans. I'm thinking it's Pacific. And last but not least, when the tide comes in really heavy that one time, they mention it being perhaps a tsunami. We know in the Pacific, there's a lot of tectonic movements, a lot of tectonic plates, that sort of thing. And so it makes sense that it might've been an earthquake that created that extremely high tide. So I'm in the Pacific. A few episodes ago, we mentioned that there's over 25,000 islands in the Pacific. And so I can't promise that I know the exact one, but I know, and I think I know that they're on one of those 25,000 <laughs> And I think that's it. I, I, that's my location. Wow. No, I have more. I'm just teasing. <laughs> I have more. I'm just teasing. Before I have a very comprehensive six-point argument on where I think they are, Holy. I have four things that I'm really struggling with. One, I'm not sure if Agent Young is telling the truth about being 150 miles east of where they were stranded and 800 miles west of Cusco. Did I Google and try to create an 800-mile radius around Cusco and zoom in on Google Maps to see if I could find islands? Yes. Is Google Maps Pacific Islands or Pacific Ocean intelligence strong enough that you could see individual islands? No. Did I try to buy an island in the Pacific to maybe take a trip to? Yes. <laughs> Am I wealthy enough? No. It's also COVID. <laughs> The other thing I'm confused about, the waterfall is a tricky one for me. Mm. 
because that is a geological formation. And the fact that there's water flowing from somewhere to somewhere and it's fresh water is a bit more rare in any environment, really. We know waterfalls are rare generally, much less a waterfall on the ocean or in the ocean. So that's something that I'm a bit uncertain and a little bit unsettled about. The third thing I'm really struggling with is the animals. While I did pause it and ask, where do sand fleas live? I also was really curious about where are goats? Is that a ferret? What kind of animals howl? And so we do know that there are howling animals. We did see the goat, which I think we've already determined was placed there. Yeah, it doesn't so. look like it's indigenous no. to that territory. But even rattlesnakes, not a lot of evidence that they're in the Pacific Islands. So that I wonder, were those animals all placed there? Or was a rattlesnake placed there as another threat for the girls to undergo? The last thing I'm really struggling with is all things related to that float plane. Float planes can't always travel that far. And more than that, we talked about how pilots know the sky. And so when Gretchen says that it was rerouted to a beachfront hotel with killer Mai Tais, even beachfront hotels are probably few and far between in the Pacific Islands. And more than that, we also know that there has to be good mobility for Audrey and Alex and Gretchen three people who we see come and go from the island. Not necessarily easily. You know, when Alex goes, we do need to call Audrey. Audrey has to take care of the logistics, but they are able to travel between those spaces relatively easily. And even later on in the bunker with getting Agent Young and Dan there as well. So this is where I'm at. Number one, when they take a trip to the top of the mountains, they're led to believe that there's nothing around them. But we know that Alex was able to travel by boat between the bunker, we're assuming, and where the girls are to land at the drop point. If those cliffs are at a height of about 1,000 feet or 300 meters, at the top, you can see for about 32 miles or 50 kilometers. If it was 2,000 feet or 600 meters, you could see for about 59 miles or 94 kilometers. A 50 horsepower boat which is what Alex drives, could travel 20 to 30 miles an hour. So while it doesn't look like there's anything, I don't actually think that peak is taller than 600 meters. And so it does give a radius that there could be another space about 60 miles. And that would just be a couple of hour boat ride for Alex. I wish he took snacks to justify maybe how long he was on that boat for. But I actually think it is feasible that there is another island and it's just out of sight. The other thing I'm going to suggest is that the bunker is not new. It was not built for the purpose of this experiment. We see this when Leah's out in the courtyard. We see vines in the growth in courtyards. We see trees growing in and around it. We also see some rust, some old fixtures and features of the bunker in terms of the electrical and that sort of thing, the way that the lights look. And it's architecturally kind of brutalist, which suggests like 1950s, 1960s. The next piece I'll say is that everything feels extremely military. Everything from Audrey to the radios to Gretchen saying that she feels like Napoleon with a cunt to the terminology used, base camp, cargo, heading stateside. The heading stateside piece I'll also makes me feel like suggests that they're out of the United States. And I want to just consider for a moment that when I say that everything feels really military, we're extending beyond just kind of the army, but to the Air Force and the Navy. Though what I'm getting to is that there are a number of airfields in the Pacific. They were built for lots of different reasons, many of which correspond to World War II. We do know that in World War II, a lot of battles were fought in the Pacific. 
Now, these airfields and these naval bases have a variety of uses. A lot of them are used for research about climate, biodiversity, climate change, wildlife sanctuaries, those sorts of things. And also, they have a really key function, which is why a lot of them have airstrips. They're diversion airports. So when you're flying between Japan and Los Angeles or Honolulu and Guam, there's another place for you to land because the Pacific is so big. I think they are on an old military naval air force base. That's where that bunker is. The bunker was previously used for something like that. And then they found a companion island that's just outside of that viewpoint where they're able to situate the girls. The last piece of evidence, and I'm not really sure about this, but in episode 10, when Leah leaves the room at 10 p.m., she has a very weird clock, and it's a naval clock, and it's a Soviet naval clock, and the red star is used for the 12, and the anchor is used for 6. It's actually a USSR submarine clock, to be very... We, we both went down this rabbit hole, that one together. And so something I just want to think about, while I do think the evidence is stronger that they're in a bunker of sorts is land-based. I also don't want to throw out the idea that they were rescued by a ship of some sorts and they're actually, the bunker is on a ship. That it's actually a naval ship, which would make sense for the weird windows, the lack of light, the brutalist nature of it, the fact that the outside area is a courtyard. It's all internal facing. You can't actually see that it's moving. And it also, for to some extent, provides some detail about when Leah's like running around, everything like looks really damp. It's very dark. Also explains the med bay and the food quality because having worked at a remote site before, food is extremely important to keep morale up. And so the fact that Dot has provided high quality food is a bit naval in the sense because in the Navy, food is extremely important as well because otherwise it's really tough on your, you and your mental health and your well-being as well. So that's where I'm at with location. Yeah. I think like it makes sense too, because we know that they flew out of California, right? Because I think Martha and Tony referenced taking multiple flights. Leah drove to the airport, right? So anything that sort of like takes off, they weren't in the plane that long. So anything that kind of takes off from California, like you're right, heading ish the, the way towards Hawaii makes sense in that. You think they're on a ship? I, I don't. I, I think they might be in a bunker, but yeah. in, in case that they're on a ship and I w- was really close, but f- but far, I just want to throw it out there. Just, just in there, case. Yeah. No, I think that makes sense. Like, definitely, I for sure feel confident that they're on a decommissioned naval base at the very least. The, the, the clock really sells it for me, as well as like, if you look at the lights, like they are very, like they feel like ship lights or like military lights, like that you would see in a submarine or something like that, right? And like the portholes, like the weird circle windows that you have, it's like, it feels at least, at the very least inspired by a ship. My one worry about them being on a ship is I feel like they would know. As someone who's been on a ship, like you feel the ocean, right? And I feel like someone at some point would have like commented on that or, or some piece of that. So that's my one piece against them being on a ship, on a ship. But for sure, they're on some sort of military base. You see it when they're, um, when Jeanette's there and they're all getting on the boats and stuff. And they have like all these army cars and stuff. There's some sort of military involvement, whether it's through Gretchen and Audrey's. Like maybe that's how they know each other. Like maybe they're both military kids, right? Um, or if it's that there's actual military investment in this project. I don't know which way it goes. So last but certainly not least, the big theory. That big theory energy. Experiments within the experiments. And so this is something we've been building towards every single episode. We've talked about 
lots of different ways in which we learn about the science and the research and what we're really trying to understand, as well as perhaps maybe some Gretchen side projects. I've broken this down into three sections. The first experiment within the experiment I'll talk about is the actual experiment, why these girls are on the island and what Gretchen's underlying theory is. The second one I will talk about is what is happening in the bunker and what are we hoping is gonna happen in the bunker. And then last but not least, the Gretchen side project about Gretchen getting and keeping her power, which is a remark that she shares when she's recruiting Lynn. So what is this experiment about? I'm gonna say that this applies both to the Dawn of Eve, both to our girls on the island, but also the Twilight of Adam experiment that is revealed in episode 10. I think the underlying theory or thesis of the Dawn of Eve is that women in the absence of men will cohere and are gonna fall into their natural gift of building harmonious communities. That leads to the idea that power in women's hands should be how we reconstruct society, and that is what we should be progressing towards. And the evidence I have for this is mainly that thunder speech. It's mainly that episode where Gretchen goes through that whole episode where she's presenting to Tom on what the, is happening so far with the girls' experiments. She talks about female governance. She talks about how patriarchal societies often end up in war or conflict. And I also am basing this on the conversations that she has with Leonard, as well as with Jeanette, in terms of what she's doing or is trying to do, as well as with Alice and the way that she relies on Alice's money, but how Alice kind of turns it back on her and says, while my money controls you, I'm trusting you to control these lives of these nine women. The Twilight of Adam stuff is neat. So the dawn of Eve, when you think of the word dawn, you think of the rise of something, the rise of femininity, the start of this new world order. Whereas the twilight is associated with that fall, with that sunset. And I'm not super great with my biblical stuff, so perhaps Allie can fill in the blanks when I'm done. I'm not 100% sure what her thesis is with the twilight of Adam. I'm not sure if she's just kind of holding it up against the Dawn of Eve and saying, this is a total control group, whatever happens, happens. Or if she thinks that this hyper patriarchal society as a metaphor for kind of general society is just not gonna succeed. And that in and of itself will prove that the Dawn of Eve will, will work and that women should be in power. Or if there's more than two groups, if there's other groups, maybe some that are less purposely chosen, if there are mixed control groups. So I'm not 100% sure if she's just using the Twilight of Adam as a pure one control group for these women, or if there's multiple control groups, or if she has another theory that the hyperpatriarchy will not succeed. Evidence that suggests other control groups beyond the Twilight of Adam I think we're going to talk in a minute or two that the Twilight of Adam footage feels dated. So I'm going to put that aside for a second. But when Gretchen is talking to Audrey, when she's having challenges with Nora, she says, supervision is my watchword this time around. There were issues with handling. We know that with regards to the girls and everything that happened with Lynn. And we know that Gretchen thinks that there is an issue within handling. So that's why she wants to be up top. The other piece is that when she gives her speech on the plane, that video recording, she says hundreds of other girls are boarding planes around the country. And so those two pieces to me say that there's at least one more 
ladies experiment? There would have to be, right? Because like, that's, and it's always the problem, like when we go back to the research and we go back to thinking. So like, if her argument is that these women, these young women on this island will build this society, you have to have something to compare it to. So you have to have a, you have to have a boys island, right? Which we've seen, but you also can't put all of your eggs in the, like this particular group, right? Things have to be replicatable. They have to be able to show. It can't just be this specific group of eight girls that builds this society. It has to be bigger than that. You have to show overall that women can do that. If Gretchen is actually intending to change the world order. I am also of the view that there would have to be a mixed group. I think there would have to be. You'd have to show that it's actually the fact that it is centralized and like a women's only space that makes this result different than all of the other results. One of my theories or one of my things that I base this around is when Gretchen and Audrey are in the hallway. Audrey comes up, this is episode 10, and says, you know, Nora wants number four pulled, but all the boats are busy with phase Phase two. two. I think she's setting up another island. I don't actually think it's the Twilight of Adam island, and we can we can talk through that, but I think she is setting up another island in that moment. I think she has to. And so I feel like her central view of like these of the girls is so powerful and like she's really like hooked on them. So I would argue that it's another boys' island that's being set up or that it's a mixed sort of gender island that's happening. That's what what I would see, but I think there has to be more islands for her experiment to have the wide range of impact that she's saying it's going to have. So let's talk a bit more about the Twilight of Adam. So lots of people have chatted about this online and things. I also agree. I don't think that the like the Twilight of Adam control group is happening at the same time as the girls. I do really like center the fact that it's in this weird room set off to the side. The monitoring looks a little bit like someone's going in and reviewing footage rather than sort of like the spotlight where they're all actively watching all of these cameras of the girls. I also think we get a little bit of an indication with Nora that she can go to any camera at any point of the day and like someone is there watching for her. So like the monitoring, like to have all these girls, especially this group of girls that doesn't have an adult would be so intense that I don't think they can split their focus. Maybe that's what they're moving to do now that the girls have settled in a little bit, split their focus, start up a new island. But I don't think running concurrently up to this point is possible. I think also there's the potential that the boys island happened way before. The footage is kind of grainy, especially when you think about the fact it's on a smaller screen. I like the idea that Alex was a part of one of the control groups, but, and was a part of the Twilight of Adam, and maybe that's where the reviewing of the footage is happening, which would center this a couple years back. Alex also looks old. He doesn't look like a teenager, so it would have to have been years ago, or the control group that she was working with was adults. But I think like that validates a lot of the pieces about, you know, Alex knowing the terrain really well and knowing the island really well. And for me, validates some of those like weird things that exist in the island. I always come back to that pit that Nora puts Leah in in episode 10. It looks dug, but it also isn't freshly dug, right? And it's like, it's kind of like grown in with vines. It's like been there for a while. So like I would posit that a previous group dug it. And I don't know if like they were having an issue with someone and needed to put them down there or what kind of their mentality is around it. But I would also like argue Nora knew where it was. So it was shown to her as a tool that she could use if things got really bad. One of my favorite words in the world is palimpsest. And so what a palimpsest location is, is it's a place where sort of like the history of that area or that building or whatever it is has sort of been like 
redrawn and remade over and over but in a way that you can sort of see the implication of what happened before so the easiest most tangible example to start people off with is it's like if you have a blank piece of paper and you drew a house and then you erase the house and you drew a new house but you didn't do like the best job erasing it so you can still see some of those lines and some of those shapes so it turns up all the time it's like something i really love when we're thinking about history in canada and like places that have like indigenous history that has been like rebuilt upon by sort of like more Western influences. You can see it in like churches that have been rebuilt where you, you can see where things have changed or there's remnants of like what it used to be before. And so for me, like that pit that we're talking about is like a palimpsest location. It's like a remnant of a previous experiment. That's what I think it is. And when that experiment happened, I think is still up in the air, but I do think it exists for a reason. And I think it's, it's a tool, but I think it also shows yeah, it just like roots back to something that happened there previously. I think you could maybe argue some of the things like Marcus, who's buried in the sand. Like, I like that he's a recording thing, but he also could be tied to a previous island. And so, or even, you know, um, Dot talking about like the spiky tree and they define it as a spiky tree when they hang the med bag on it. But when you actually see the bag with Leah, it looks like all the branches have been cut for some reason. We know that we're going to get a little bit of like other island backstories. We, we, we know that, right? Um, and so like if it like defined and helped us understand some of these like slightly weird anomalies that exist on the island would just kind of like add a little bit of like extra layer and rich and richness to what's been built. Definitely. I also think that Alex has some sort of a connection to a previous experiment. I think there's more to Tom as well. His loyalty to Gretchen, the way that he's built it up and it's unflappable is really interesting to me as well. So I think there may be something there too. The only piece I have with Alex maybe not being in the Twilight of Adam and maybe being in a different group is that the Twilight of Adam island looks different than the island that the girls oh, are yeah. on. So even while they do mention that Alex knows the train, maybe they he was on this island, but I think it goes to that maybe there are other islands. And if you look at the footage, the beach is more of a, a sand beach. It's not that black sand beach. That's where the girls presently are making camp on their island. So the sand looks a bit different. Vegetation also looks a lot different. There's a lot more trees. Palm now. trees in particular near the water. Exactly. And so while maybe that means that they've just taken up camp at a different part in the island, which could be true, it also might be a, a different island yeah. in and of itself. So what's happening in the bunker? Our theory is that Gretchen thinks that the girls are going to figure it out and they're going to outsmart the detectives. The yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. The first piece of evidence we have for this is I think there's pretty compelling evidence that Gretchen knew that Leah was going to spin and figure it out. Early on, Gretchen says, God, they're so brilliant, I could scream. And later, when she's talking to Leonard, she says that Leah is already raising suspicions. In response to that, she talks about the importance of Milestone 8 to quell any of those anxieties or fears, which we know is the black box, that recording that feels and makes it feel even further that the plane crash was real. We also know that Gretchen knows about Leah's anxiety and ability to spin. When she talks about Leah in contrast to Fatten, after Fatten disappears, that she spins and spins until she's untethered, as well as when she talks about how Leah is not unstable, not in any clinical sense. The second piece I'll say is that the detectives are idiots. <laughs> 
nicest way. And we're going to talk about Gretchen keeping and maintaining power. Where we'll dig a little bit deeper into the detectives. But the detectives lead the girls a lot. When talking to Dot, they say, did Rachel's approach bother you? When talking to Tony, they say, did fighting for talkies get under your skin? They're trying to bring up conflict. They're trying to get them to talk about each other. And Tony, Meta-Tony, actually prompts them and says, do you actually care about this dumb shelter building competition? Which they respond and said, we don't know anything, everything's important at this stage in the game kind of thing. But the way that they lead the girls, idiots. More than that, Agent Young, we love you. However, you got played when Leah went and said that she needed air and then she grabbed your phone. And when you slipped up and said, to Shelby that she wants to see Tony, you made it known that you know about their relationship. Not good. I think the most compelling piece of evidence that the girls are playing, the detectives, is the stories that Leah tells and the questions that she asks. But the two stories she tells in this season are one about the monster that lives under her bed when she's talking with Daniel and how her parents said that she made it up and she had an active imagination. And the story about the goldfish, when she talks to Fatten about how she had a suicidal goldfish and she was so worried about it that she made her parents turn around only to find out that her suspicion was confirmed. Not that she, the goldfish, jumped out, but that the dog, there was a gas leak and they ended up saving the dog. In that moment, if she wanted to justify her suspicious behaviors, if she trusted Dan, she would have told the goldfish story mm -hmm. instead of that monster story. In episode one, Leah also says that the only question she has about this whole thing is whether or not Jeffrey reached out. We know that that's not the real Leah. We know that she's a little bit beyond that when we leave her on the island at the end of episode 10. When Fatten is talking to the detectives, she says that she started to believe Leah and the detectives are extremely interested in that. And she says that she didn't tell anyone else, but we know that's a lie because we see Dot being extremely involved later on, as well as Shelby comforting Leah as well. They're all very aware of what's happening with Leah. Last but not least, when Leah is talking to Dan about the three main theories she has about Shelby, when she thought that Shelby was a spy, a slumber party spy to be more specific, the three theories center around her having a phone that she's talking to somebody that she has an underground hideout of sorts where she's keeping a gun and that she had or knew where Jeanette's body was. She says all these things are ridiculous. There are three things we actually know that are true. They weren't by Shelby, but we knew Jeanette had two phones. We knew Nora had a phone. They are in an underground hideout slash bunker and Jeanette's body was taken and is missing by something that was not the ocean. These are all tests. And Dan's response I think is particularly interesting. While he does say that not all wild notions are without merit, he ties it that reasonable explanations don't interest her. And more than that, he says, do you also see how it could pose a threat? And so I think Dan is hinting at something that she's a threat to the experiment because she knows all of these things, but he's trying to gaslight her essentially. Leah retreats in this scene. This whole scene between her and Dan is, is really neat to watch with this theory in mind. Leah retreats and says that she's young and stupid and fucked up on love and you expect me to be fucking perfect. And we know she's being surveilled and so she sings that Ghost in You song at the end. And so I think that's a way for Leah to distance herself from the Leah that knows what's going on and put herself back in that fucked up 
state to give her maybe a bit more leeway. Because the last piece of evidence I think we have is that Leah and Shelby plan with the note passing. Leah waits for 10 p.m. exactly. She waits for lights out. Shelby has the anaphylactic reaction along that same time. That feels extremely planned and it feels like all of those factors led to the ability to carry out that plan. And so those are the main pieces of evidence that I have about Gretchen feeling like the girls will outsmart the detectives, the fact that they are actually outsmarting the detectives, and that that's all part of whatever phase two is. And just building upon that, I think it's really important that we think when Shelby gives the note to Leah, it doesn't say you are right. It says you were right. And so what that really like centers and brings us to is the girls figuring out what happened is not something that's all of a sudden blowing their minds. There was a theory, there was a plan, there was a focus, and they're validating their experiences and validating that knowledge. You see it all the time. Like it happens in almost every interview. The detectives will let something slip that they know, or the girls will see deliberately hiding something. You know, we, we see it a little bit. They're talking about you know, why Tony wouldn't take the pill from Shelby. And the the girls kind of brush it off as pride, I think, is the one that Dan brings it up as it could be. But there's all these little instances where Dan and Dean are analyzing the situations and the girls are letting them go down wrong trails as they're kind of like trying to figure out to what degree they know things. So my kind of big theory is that in this sort of aftermath that's happening at the end of season one, Leah shares her theory. I don't know if something actually happened to Rachel and Nora doesn't go missing. Nora could potentially even break and and expose the theory. And now they're thinking and doing and approaching things in a way to get themselves out of it. We know there's all sorts of like blank spots in the cameras on the island. So it wouldn't be that difficult for them to sort of like come together to gather to create a plan. This also ties into my big theory. I don't think Martha's dead. I think that we've gotten weird hints that Martha has a little bit more survival knowledge than we always see on the outside. And my theory is that they may think that Martha's dead. The detectives may think that Martha's dead, but Martha's actually missing. And I think it's part of this bigger plan so that not all of them were being rescued in this motion and not all of them were going into the bunker. So I do think the girls are coming together. They're acting together. They're validating some of the things that they think and starting to understand this bigger scheme at play. And I also think, I agree with Rachel, that Gretchen not only knows that they're doing this, she wants them to do it. We talk a lot about like her overall theory about women maintaining power and like, you know, asserting their power. She put two male detectives in charge of doing this with the girls. She put two male detectives who in various different ways can be corrupted by the girls and like, I think she wants to see if they're going to outsmart them. I think she's left clues. She's left trails of things to get them to that point. We talk about Leah being the first person who's recruited. We talk about Leah and her paranoia and her history of paranoia, to be frank. Any deep dive into Leah's mental health that Gretchen did would have revealed that. We see Leah's parents specifically sending her for a psych consult. So her existence of paranoia that we've seen through those stories that she's told, that we saw through her freaking out at Ian, thinking that he sent the birth certificate. She is, she's a documented history of paranoia, and there is no reason to put her on that island unless you want her to figure it out. Unless you want to see if she's going to unravel and un, unspool what's actually going on. And so I think like there's ways that we can think about this, you know, 
is this experiment overall like a larger conformity experiment, right? Is that like the ties to those conformity experiments that are happening? Maybe. But I do think Gretchen on some level has built a system that the girls can beat. And I think she wants to see if they're going to beat it. And I think she's rooting for them in that way because honestly, like whether or not they build a society on the island, like I don't know if they will. I don't know if they have enough time. But whether or not they can outsmart this patriarchal system that she's built around them is really a test that could validate something for her going forward. Wholeheartedly agree. She wants them to feel empowered. She wants to feel like they can resist these authority figures, that they can resist this pressure to kind of be rescued, this damsel in distress. She wants them to not settle into that role where they feel like they're rescued and everything's okay. She wants them to keep questioning because to her that that means that her experiment worked too. So our last of the experiments within the experiment is Gretchen getting and keeping her power as the person who's responsible for this research. And before we dig into that, I just want to talk about the roles of the research team. By doing so, I want to talk about the ways in which they break out of their roles and how that undermines Gretchen. So Audrey, my fave, let's start with her. She's the best anyway. She's logistics. She gets folks in and out. She organizes things. And a key validating point is when she's chatting with Alex about the med bag, Alex asks a bunch of questions about getting it to the girls. And Audrey says, don't. Not our job to moralize, not our job to ask questions. That leads us to Alex. We know Alex knows the train the best, and we know that he moves extremely easily back and forth. He also is like tech support guy, and he also undermines Gretchen. And so Daniel, his role is pitched to him as a gentle hand to guide vulnerable patients through a dark time. But she picks him knowing that he has a background in controversial youth psychiatry. And his role is to be the person that is trauma-informed. We talk about his clothes, him and Agent Young do, where sweaters supposed to be approachable. Agent Young, in contrast, is introduced to us as the investigator in charge, that brass tax guy, G-Man suit. Susan and Tom, I'll just kind of loop them together. Susan, she's a sociologist. She does the group observational stuff. And Tom... He's an RC, he's a research coordinator, he's Gretchen's trusted confidant. The two of them only question Gretchen once, and it's when they think that she kills the pilot. pilot. And Gretchen's response is, I'm a researcher, not a murderer. And in the same breath, she says to them, pay attention because the group roles are going to change because they think they got rescued and they're not going to. So she quells that right away. So let's talk about how they break these roles. Alex breaks the roles because he's mad at Gretchen and he breeds animosity. He also trusts Lynn in the moment when she says that she's okay instead of following whatever the protocol is. And he also asks questions about the research. Daniel breaks roles. And a good example is when Daniel and Agent Young approach Dot in the hallway when she's dancing. Agent Young says it's nice that Dot's having fun. Daniel shows Dot his badge. He reinforces that he has power in this situation. And it is a really stark contrast to Agent Young, who's supposed to be the investigator in charge, mm -hmm. but is soft in that moment. The other part where Daniel really breaks his role is when instead of trying to, you know, be therapeutic to Leah, he's focusing on making her guilty. And his response to Gretchen is, you get that, don't you? Agent Young breaks his intimidating investigator role in a lot of ways. The Dot fun thing... 
showing Leah a photo of his kid. When he talks about how wearing a suit isn't all that easy, most of the time you just want to give him a hug. When he brings Leah out for air and that whole scene that ensues between the two of them. And when he questions Gretchen, how much longer? When can we throw them a handrail? When can we let them see each other? Gretchen responds to these three th people in different ways. The way that she responds to Alex is she wants Alex to get some sort of a, a, a retribution. She wants him to throw a drink in her face. And then after he does that, after he gets that release, she says, don't ever undermine me again. Agent Young, she's extremely confrontational in the moment, when, especially when he's talking about how much longer are we going to keep the girls apart. She says, I thought you were going to be a value add. She talks about how she pulled him off that gin-soaked sofa. And she says, this was going to be my afternoon. And she gives him a test. She gives him that box to go through to try to find a solution. Later on, she apologizes and says, I hope you know how valuable you are, and I hope you're happy. And he says that he is. The response to Daniel is the most interesting, because her response is really, she doesn't necessarily validate what Daniel says. She just kind of segues into, like, remember your first heartbreak? She lets him go easy when he tries to dramatically alter the course of the experiment. The last person I want to talk about in this is Lynn. Lynn reinforces a lot of things to Gretchen. She talks about how Gretchen should trust her and can trust her. She tries to befriend Gretchen in a lot of ways by saying that she's, uh, she stands her, that she thinks about trying something new and breaking out of her preserved space all the fucking time. But she also challenges her. We see it when she calls Gretchen that their second meetup wasn't by chance. And we hear it when she says that cats are a thinking person pet and that's her favorite animal but dogs are kind of a dumb person's pet, which is what Gretchen has. Gretchen thinks she controls Lynn. The number of times that she tells her that she's brave to try to keep her under that control because she knows it's, it's gonna resonate because of Lynn's trauma. She repeats that over and over throughout the episodes. And she also references Jeanette in her funder speech that we have one operative that's fully under our control, referring to Jeanette and not to Nora. But we do see a lot of ways in which Lynn defies that even in that short time that she's on the island. Number one, when she says she can't do that to Alex, she can't do this, she can't move forward, and that she apologizes to Leah twice before she passes. So bottom line, Gretchen has a lot of threats to her power and the way in which all of these people are undermining her roles. And I think the one that to me speaks out the most is that she lets Daniel keep going because I think that's the one that she's most worried about. She thinks that she's controlled Agent Young when he has and brings back some evidence about Martha, and then she talks about how she appreciates him. She thinks that she's controlled Alex when he throws that drink in her face and she says, don't ever undermine me again. Lynn's out of the picture, unfortunately, but Daniel is that loose end. And so that's where I think we might be going with this experiment within the experiment if Gretchen can keep and maintain power over the experiment and in particular over Daniel. Well, I think Daniel, we've talked about being just as dangerous as Leah, I think is the comparison that we made. And I think she's thinking about the ways that the girls, especially if we think that she wants the girls to beat the experiment, she wants them to break out of the experiment. And so she has to think about the ways that the girls are going to be able to manipulate each of them and the ways that they're going to be able to use each of them. And Dan is the, the interesting one because as he asserts his power, he lets valuable information slip. 
And so Agent Young really lets, gives them access, gives them movement, but Dan gives them knowledge and gives them confirmation that there are bigger things going on. And these are all valuable pieces. And if Gretchen came to Dan and shut him down and said, this isn't what we're doing in the experiment, you need to stop doing this, it would taint it in a way and would give the girls less access and less sort of like unfettered, untainted access to the information that Dan is letting slip as he continues to try and assert his power over the girls. Something we've seen him do all the time. We see him do it with Leah in that room. We see him do it with Shelby when Shelby comes in. Even when Dot is doing her interview, you know, she's like big jokes. She's like drinking her like milkshake and stuff. But like the way that like, Agent Young, Dean, reacts in those situations is is camaraderie building. He's like laughing with her. He's joking with her. But like Dan in that situation is he's trying to be too firm and too serious. And like he doesn't know how to build that rapport in the same way. And it's actually really damaging his effectiveness. And a lot of that is that focus on power and that focus on power that he has over the girls in this situation. Right. Well, even the example of Dodd is he's like, I'm kind of inclined to remind you to chew. It's very parental in a weird way. And like, so I think like that's part of it is like Gretchen's looking at the ways that he looks down at the girls and thinks that he knows more than the girls. But I would say like, they're all fucking resilient as fuck. And like, would are able to like navigate and understand and break out of this this prison this cage that Gretchen has built around them it's interesting too because we also see Daniel assert his power even when Gretchen comes in to recruit him Gretchen does give a spiel and his response is I know you're not being truthful with me and the way that he says it that like fucking smug smile on his face especially when he's like in last but not least like good old-fashioned gut instinct like he just knows better than you And Gretchen's response is like, I knew you'd be good. She's very validating to him and to his skills. Again, it's it's like looking at Leah and Dan in the bunker. It's a good confrontation. And I think she also knew that he was going to give her a little bit of heartache when she recruited him in the same way that she knew Leah was going to give her a bit of heartache too. I feel like also Gretchen's talked a little bit, you know, she, she plays it off that in that one conversation with Lynn where she's like, oh, I don't want to take power from men. But then she validates it later on. And she's like, I do want to take the power. And like, I feel like for her taking power from someone like Dan is fun in a way. She likes the idea of this, this person who thinks that, you know, he can sort of like toy and pull and like attack people like psychologically, which is, which is like a very different level than anything else. And like watch him be undermined and dismantled from that position of power he holds. Well, I think it'd be fun too. I think it'd be, I, I think it'd be, I'm like all in. I, I would like to watch that. It's my hope for next season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Any thoughts on Lynn? Lynn is always going to be this big mystery for us because I don't think she would have continued to toe the line on the island. I think she was already breaking the line as she was going in. And I think she actually, if we're continuing this idea that the girls would have broke free, I think she would have had a lot of information to give them. And I think if we think about this as a conformity study, I think she would have conformed with the girls and would have shared that information and actually given them even more of a leg up if they're trying to break out of the experiment. Lynn aligned with Gretchen in a lot of ways, but I think Lynn was also a threat to take Gretchen's power overall because think Lynn is smarter than Gretchen in a lot of ways and I think she knows how to play the game in a lot of ways they all have a different level of threat to Gretchen and I think Lynn's threat is how similarly she thinks to Gretchen 
and her sort of like ability to think like outside of the box and to understand things in different ways. It's one of the pieces that drew Gretchen to her, but it also is something that could have definitively been a downfall to Gretchen. And those are our big theories. Um, Experiment within the experiment is really the one that we've been building to all season, but you know, the multiple levels of experiment is something I've, I've been so excited to talk about it. I was just like real pumped to get into it today. But those are the end of our of our sort of like our big, big theories. We have like smaller scale ones, but those are like the really, really at the heart of like what the fuck is going on here. Yeah. And I think maybe at a later point, both of us have one or two like really out there theories. One of mine is about location. One of Allie's is, I guess, about research design. You mean my one about how Gretchen's in the coma? Yes. <laughs> Something research design. <laughs> so maybe we will... Uh... We'll posit yeah. some of those. They're they're pretty episode. wild though. Like they're they're our definition of like the most bonkers theories that we both hold that we don't even a hundred percent are like this is what's going on, but it's just like what if? Yeah. And maybe we'll save those for like where we're really desperate for content after they've filmed and we're in like post production and we're just <laughs> waiting for it to premiere. We'll just Yeah, we'll just drop we'll an episode randomly guys. like in the summer and it'll just be like the weird theories. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I think uh, we wanted to shift and talk a little bit about, you know, our hopes and dreams, our anticipations for next season, those things that we think are going to, that we're going to be building to, that we want to be building to uh, in this season that is currently filming. So I could start us off. Let's do it. All right. Number one, what the fuck is going on with Alex? That is one of my like things. Alex is someone who is really fascinating to me and I really like I want to understand what's happening with them. It's connected to sort of the the Boys Island story. Also the scratch on his face that, you know, isn't there when Lynn falls in the water, but is there in all post island delivery scenes. And so I want to know what his deal is, what his connection is to Gretchen, especially because he doesn't really seem to like or trust her, how he was injured. And I just I need to know what the fuck the deal is with Alex. Yeah, I mean, I'd also like to know, like, when do you learn to dance like that? And <laughs> his twins, and et cetera. But yes, those are also really important, i.e. a scratch. I'll throw one back to you. I'm an Agent Young stan. We've heard a lot about his backstory. I'm really hoping that we get to see some more of it. I'm really hoping that we're able to learn more about the other secondary characters, learn about how they got to where they are. You know, we do see Daniel. We see a lot more of Daniel than we do of Agent Young's backstory. We don't see Agent Young in context and situation aside from in the bunker. So that's something I'm really hoping for is a little bit more Agent Young next season. Yeah, and that builds into one of my hopes. You know, the whole fandom has talked a lot about, you know, the inclusion of the Twilight of Adam, the casting of all of the boys, the bringing in of a lot of new characters. So I guess like I get it. I'm interested in it because I think it fills out what the fuck Gretchen is doing, which is always something that I'm just like, what are you doing, Gretchen? Um, and so I'm I'm here to like kind of like learn about that. I, I similarly to a lot of people, I'm like, yes, I want to know what's going on, but I also still want like so much time with the girls because there's still so much to unpack. But in line with that too, I also don't want us to throw aside some of these secondary characters that we already have. Like, I'm interested in, I'm interested in what's going on with Tom. I want to know, like, what happened with Alex. I want to know, like, what this relationship is between Gretchen and Audrey and where it comes from. I want to know some of those pieces about those side characters who we already have and already are invested in. And I want to flesh them out a little bit more. Because especially for the research team, there's a lot of, like, depth going on there. And there's 
something that ties them all to Gretchen in a really tangible and powerful way. And I'd, I'd like to understand what that is. I want to see more Gretchen. We know that she's been thinking about this for a long time. We know there's so many loose ends. You know, I don't think that we feel united in decision or even our own confidence about if she actually is a mother, if Devin is her son, how she got let go of her previous job, how she's funded. Like, I'd love to see a Gretchen backstory that starts even further from back then from recruiting these girls. So that's something I'm hoping to see next season too. Yeah, I also want more time on the island and I think we're going to get it. I think we, you know, depending on what happens with this shark attack, I think they reasonably should be on the island another month and a half. So my hope is that, you know, we still stay with bunker scenes like interspersed in there, but like we stay on the island still longer because I'm not ready to leave yet. I'm not, I'm not ready to leave yet. I don't want to go home. (laughs) As though I am like marooned on the island. Uh, I'm not ready to leave yet because I think there's a lot of growth to still happen. And I think there are ways that they've tied up certain characters' stories or their arcs. Like we talked a little bit about like Shelby and sort of having her come to like some semblance of peace by the end of season one. But she actually isn't at a peaceful state yet. There's a lot more that she needs to work through. And I think for a lot of them, there's a lot more processing that still needs to happen. And I want that still to have time because they're working towards healing. They're starting to get better, but a lot of them are still left in flux. I think Shelby still has a lot to work through. Martha, yeah, killed the goat. Still has a fuck ton of shit to work through, right? There are all these pieces and these things that, you know, were half tied in case this series never got renewed, but also actually still need to be like given space to breathe, to dig into, to work through. If we're really hoping to get the girls to some of those places that we've seen them in, in the bunker, where some of them we've seen a lot of growth, some of them we've seen a bit of regression too, but just understanding how we get to those places. Something else I'm really hoping for is we've seen time work in different ways and we've talked a lot about timelines here, but I'd be really curious if we're going to start to see, and I really hope to see some flash forwards. Mm-hmm. I think that's a way to keep a storyline fresh is instead of looking back to also look forward. And so I think it would be really neat, even if we only get one or two scenes of these girls at a different part in their life, maybe this is secretly a longitudinal study. It would make sense. Yeah. And so that's something I'm curious about and hoping for. Maybe season two might be early. This might be a season three or four hopes or dream. We have so much other stuff to think about and we know with the addition of the boys There's going to be a lot more to get through in 10 episodes, but I'd love to see that as well. I'm also really interested in what the fuck is going to happen with the girls in this world where we know that Nora is the Confederate, right? So I can see it kind of going two ways. I do think there's a little bit of potential like that Nora is going to get pulled from the island with Leah knowing and this reveal and like maybe that's this up, up in the air question about where Nora is. Maybe they fully pull her from the group. If they don't pull her from the group, I'm interested to see that standoff that's going to happen between Leah and Nora. Is anyone going to believe Leah when she says that Nora's the Confederate? Leah can't find the camera anymore. She found a pit. Like she has this history of paranoia. Is anyone actually going to believe Leah? And is this going to cause like a divide amongst the group? I hope not. I hope there's ways that they can band together. Um, But I do think there's some evidence that, you know, maybe Leah is the one standing there saying, this is what's going on. I've seen the proof and no one believes her. And that's what leads things to happen. Like Shelby putting that note in the back of her shirt that says you were right. 
you were right there's something going on you were right that more people know but i can also understand like for the girls sitting on the island who've seen none of that proof being like they're not going to believe leah especially when she's demonstrated such a history of blaming people of accusing shelby of like you know, she just had like a breakdown where she like ran into the ocean. So I'm interested in seeing like what the fallout of that is, what the reality of that is. If Rachel's injured, would Leah even bring it up or would she wait to find more proof because of the impact that it would have on Nora and just the ways that it's going to change and shift those relationships and those geographies of the way that the group is interacting and acting together. Like how will those leadership dynamics change? How will those pieces change? And will there be a divide or a shift? Another hope of mine is that I really hope we haven't said goodbye to Lynn yet. Mm -hmm. I think there's so much missing from her storyline. You know, we did see a, a great montage of her prepping for her role, but she's also like a real person that she has like family and friends and like other people that love her and she's no longer there. And so what's the aftermath of that? I'm interested in that. And I also think there's an, an homage made to Lynn. We've talked a lot about necklaces in other episodes, but something that we noticed on our most recent watch through is that Lynn is wearing that medallion circle pendant. And we see Gretchen wearing the same one later on. And so Gretchen is carrying her with her. And so what does that impact have on Gretchen? And again, if we can wrap up Lynn's storyline a little bit. I also anticipate us learning a little bit more about Nora. That jump of Nora from the girl sitting in the diner eating pancakes with Gretchen to the girl that's crouching over Leah with a pillow. What happened in that gap of time to get her to that place? And how aware is she actually of the experiment? It's hard, right? Because like I wanna I wanna be like, you know, Gretchen manipulated Nora. I think she did. And all of these things, but there is little bits of evidence that, you know, Nora is a little bit more engaged and involved than even that. There's the fact that she knows the island so well, so she was prepped for the island. She knows where all the cameras are. Uh, Rachel also picked up in uh, one of our rewatches that, you know, when she's talking to the camera, she says like, you guys. So she knows some of the research team. It seems like they know her. So she almost feels like she has actually a little bit more engagement with the research team and with the actual research than what we see as you know her just saying I want my sister and me to go on this in which case she has a little bit more stake in the game and maybe a little bit more belief than we're led to believe so I'd like to really flesh that out and understand that and understand to what degree she wants them just there to heal and to what degree she actually believes in the work that Gretchen is doing. Speaking about the time that happens between Nora and getting to the island, you know, some girls we know that basically they're boarding the plane the next day, Fatten for example, but for some of the other girls there's a three, four, five, six month gap between when we last see them and when we see them on the island. Shelby's a key example of that. We know that pageant takes place in December but we don't see her on the island until June. And so I do think there's a good bucket of time for many of these girls that we're not quite seeing. And so what happens, what leads to that? Does it influence how they behave and act on the island in a way that maybe we're not thinking about yet because we haven't seen them go through that experience? And I think my final one, over our character-centric 
episodes that we're going to follow this with. I'm going to take a little bit of time and talk about like redemption and atonement and like to the degree the girls are seeking that and they're looking for that in this space. And so that's something that I'll start us on that journey with, but that I would really like to see for some of them resolved. I'd really like to see them to get to that point where they can set down some of these past things that they've done and move forward because I think a lot of them are still holding it in that way. So thinking about thinking about atonement and having some resolution on that is something that's really important for me in season two. And just picking up on your theme of atonement and moving past some things and feeling redemption, you know, let's talk Shoni. We are a podcast about all things queer and unqueer. And so I think for Shoni, I wanna see them working through some of those things together. The scene of them talking in the woods about that too surveilled versus unsurveilled, I think they're going to be able to balance each other in a way and work through their hardships. We see Tony really trust Shelby. We see Shelby really struggling with the fact that she's hurt people before. And Tony feels like that too. And that's something that you talked about a couple episodes ago, Allie, about how Shelby and Tony are like the right people to talk to each other about fears of hurting the other. Now, I have a feeling it's going to lead to some angst for the both of them. I have a feeling that they don't really quite know how to communicate quite yet. But I do hope that they can get to a a good place where they're able to find that balance with each other. Yeah, I'm really pumped for the angst, though, actually. And we've been told that it's coming. Yeah, you're an angst person. Yeah, I'm an angst person. Um, And we've been told that it's coming. And I think it makes sense for it to come because they are still growing. They are still healing, both of them. And it's just that hope that they're going to be able to heal and grow together. And so, you know, you you always like that angst to be, like, accompanied by, like, that sense that, like, everything's going to be okay in the end. So, like, I'm okay with a bit of angst if it leads to, like, growth and bringing themselves more together. I think also, like, I would love to see more gay stuff in season two, you know, like TV shows. And I've talked about this before, but often like do like the checkbox where they're like, okay, we have like a queer couple and we're done. That doesn't have to be the case, Wilds. I'm just throwing that out there. There can be more gayness that happens next season. Gretchen Audrey. (laughs) Yeah, Gretchen and Audrey would be sick. I think there's evidence that you know there are more people who are queer on the island and so i'd like to see that explored a little bit more i think um and i think especially if they're going to be on the island for another month and a half there's space to explore it more we're manifesting the queerness manifest with us all right that is uh that brings us to a close of our our overall theory episode it's been fun it's been a great time So as we shared with you all, we'll be coming and starting to work our ways through the duos going forward. So working our ways through our pairs. Once again, we are shifting a little bit to bi-weekly. So not next week, but the week after you'll get your first of those episodes. As always, follow us on social media. Feel free to reach out. We love chatting with you about your theories, any feedback you have. We love hearing from you. All of our links are in the bio. As always, please subscribe, rate, review. Like Ali just said, we are gonna try to fill the gap as best as we can between now and that eventual season two premiere date. So- I mean, we will not succeed, let's be clear. Yeah, but we might like, we're gonna do bi-weekly for now and then we might have a surprise weird theories episode. You might miss it if you don't subscribe. That's true. Last thing I'll say is we never went through our episode title today. And so I just wanna end with that. This episode is called, and it's a Gretchen quote, we wanted to honor her. I'm spearheading a new initiative at work. There's been some resistance. (laughs) So gentle way of putting it, Gretchen. So to the best of your ability, I hope you have a great week 
and you avoid all red tape and headaches. Ooh. Bye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>